welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today, midday, by the full cast of characters, Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue. How's your Friday going? Well, boys, I am sitting in my car uh, in my work parking lot, uh, freezing my tail off. So that's how we're doing. It's dedication, Rick. It's dedication to the cause. Dedication to the cause, indeed. Look, Friday at noon, not our usual recording time, but we care about you, the listeners, and the product that we put out on this podcast each and every week. And we would be remiss to not do an emergency podcast with two big hires for Virginia Tech. Ladies and gentlemen, you have an offensive and defensive coordinator now. Two very young gentlemen, maybe not a name that a lot of people would have thought of, Unless your name, of course, is Ricky LeBlue on the last Hoagie Hangover podcast. We will get to all of it in just a minute. But first, we got to thank the folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. And look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Tyler. Bowen, Chris, Marv. You probably hadn't heard the names before, but you're going to hear them a lot going forward. No, it's not Manny Diaz, and no, it's not Joe Brady. The The idea, the dream of Virginia Tech swing for one of the biggest names on the market did not happen, but I see strategic advantages in both hires. Ricky LeBloom, you seemed underwhelmed on Twitter. Am I wrong about that or explain where you're coming from? So um, my, my perspective on both of these hires is that um, neither of them are uh, highly qualified for the job. Um, that's not to say that they won't turn out to be good hires. I, that's certainly possible uh, in it they really just fit the, the, the there or the mold that Brent Pry seems to be going for with his assistants. And that is uh, younger coaches who he's familiar with. That's, that's kind of his MO that we've learned at this point where if Pry is going to bring an assistant on, chances are it's someone that he has a, a background with in the past. And it's someone who's on the bit of, of the younger side. I mean, Marv and Bowen are both, low thirties. Um, so they're only a few years older than me at 27. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty young as far as coaches go. I think, um, Mike Niziolik was tweeting out after Chris Marv was hired that he would have been the youngest defensive coordinator in the ACC last year. Um, which I mean, is, is not really all that surprising. 32 is pretty young. Neither of them have extensive backgrounds. Um, Chris Marv has, um, to my knowledge, no experience as a defensive coordinator. He was the run game coordinator at Florida State, and that's um, certainly something to to keep an eye on. Um, Florida State's run defense was not great. However, they did make a pretty sizable improvement from Marv's first year to Marv's second year, uh, but they started off in a really bad spot. Um Tyler Bowen is someone who has been an offensive coordinator at Fordham. So take that for what it's worth. 
Um, he has called plays in a very limited capacity. Um, he's not having the best time in Jacksonville at the moment because the Jaguars are really bad. Uh, but he's, again, <clears throat> an assistant that doesn't have an extensive coaching background. And I guess my personal preference for both of these hires would have been coordinators who have that extensive experience and guys that can um, be really reliable uh, resources of, of, of experience and knowledge for Brent Pry, who is himself a first-time head coach. So um, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, really up in arms about either hire. I think both of them have potential to work out very well. But uh, I, was, I guess I was hoping for something a bit more. I was hoping for a bit more experience at both of those spots. Mike, you pointed out on Twitter, and I certainly agree, that the emphasis, at least with the Tyler Bowen hire, seems to be recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Bowen had extensive experience recruiting Maryland, Pennsylvania, as an offensive staffer at Penn State, did very well there. Do you think that's worth the trade-off here? I mean, it all starts with recruiting. You know, it starts and ends with recruiting, just like Charles Huff said in that press conference that Virginia Tech fans loved. Recruiting is how you can fix a lot of issues. Brad Cornelson's offense looked pretty good with a lot of talent. Right. Do you think that the trade-off there of recruiting experience versus play-calling experience is worth it for Virginia Tech right now? Is that a risk that you would be willing to take if you were Brent Pry? How long is uh, Whit Babcock giving Brent Pry to make this work? That's my, that's my question. I think it is a trade-off if you're going to be patient, right? If you're going to allow – this staff, which has already hit the ground running on the recruiting trail to recruit to their capability, which in the state of Virginia, I mean, look, we, we got to see what the, this class doesn't really matter. It's great that they're keeping guys on board. Not a lot of guys have flipped and it looks like they may, they may flip some guys to Virginia tech. Like this class, you know, depending on who decommits and who commits, it would be it would be great to retain everybody from a top twenty five class as it stands right now. It would be it would be great. Is it realistic? Probably not. But the fact he's retained a lot of these guys, and, and he's kept these guys from decommitting so far, is a feather in his cap. What I'm interested to see is what happens with the twenty twenty three class moving forward. I think that's what we're all really keen on because Brent Pry did not recruit any of these kids he's just trying to hold commitments and then maybe add to it with some guys that he's interested in that haven't made a decision yet so all of that kind of remains to be seen but the 2022 class in a silo in regard to how we're going to rate this staff on the recruiting trail does not matter to me as much as 2023 forward I think that makes a lot of sense as far as these two hires go the Chris Marv hire I, I think Andrew, when you mentioned it's strategic and, and Ricky, you mentioned it's strategic as well. Um, they're strategic in two different, in two different ways, right? Chris Marv is a young up and coming assistant that is a proven linebackers coach. Uh, he has coached linebackers at two different SEC schools and now at Florida state and his linebackers have been pretty solid everywhere he's been. Right. So we know he can coach linebackers. What I think Brent Pry's objective was with the Chris Marv hire in particular was to bring in a guy who understands Brent Pry's defensive system that he can mold, right? So Marv played under Brent Pry. 
he also has coached under Brent Pry at a couple different stops. So he understands the Brent Pry defense on a couple of different levels. We knew from the opening press conference that Brent Pry was going to have a heavy hand in the defensive scheming and play calling. Uh, Pry did mention in his opening press conference that he will eventually hand over the reins of the play calling to his defensive coordinator. At the time, we didn't know it was going to be Chris Marv, right? But he didn't mention when he was going to do that. So is he going to do that, you know, sometime during fall camp? Is he going to do that uh, when, when the games actually kick off, you know, sometime during the season when he sees that Marv is pretty comfortable calling the plays? Is that when he hands it off? Is it after the first year at Virginia Tech? Uh, but I think what's clear with the Marv hire in particular is he brought in a guy who he believes he can mold under him, who understands his system already. So that made that made sense to me. And I think when you look at kind of the staff, the staffing salaries, right, for the assistants, I thought it would make more sense all along for Pride to spend money on the offensive side of the ball because we knew that he was going to have connections on the defensive side of the ball with guys who knew his defense and guys who he could pay where he knows he needs to make his money at Virginia Tech and, and what's going to be the key to his longevity, it's going to be the offense. Because I think we understand the defense is only going to be so bad, right? Like the, the defense, because of what he's done in the past and who he's hiring and what they've done at prior stops, I think we have an understanding the defense will be good eventually, right? It, it's really the offense that's going to dictate whether or not he's successful. And then the recruiting. So flipping over to the offensive side of the ball now, the Tyler Bowen hire, makes a ton of sense. Ricky mentioned it on the last podcast. My brother-in-law, Scott, mentioned it to me like a week and a half ago, too. He's like, Tyler Bowen at Jacksonville would make a lot of sense. And I said, okay, why? Like, sell me on it. And he started telling me about Bowen's prior stops, how he was the co-OC at Penn State, how he coached two All-American tight ends and Pat Fryermuth and Mike Gusecki. And I said, okay, well, we know he can coach tight ends. Well, can he call plays? Okay, well, he's done it at Fordham. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, you look at it in 2016 when he was the only season where he was the sole offensive coordinator there at Fordham. They were fourth in the FCS in total offense. They were 12th in the FCS in rushing offense. Um, and, and they were scoring over 40 points per game. Like, okay, that, that's really good. Now, what he's he done at the FBS level? Well, he was the co-OC at Penn State for two years. He called plays by himself in one game. It was a game where Sean Clifford was really banged up a couple of years ago in the Cotton Bowl. Penn State racked up like 600-something yards and 53 points. Okay, that's a one-game sample size. But that looks pretty good. The most important part of the Tyler Bowen hire to me is that he is a really, really good recruiter in the DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Everybody is talking about how tireless of a worker Tyler Bowen is. You know, people are saying, oh, well, he, he works too hard to fail. Now, does that separate him from other coaches? I don't know but I thought it was a pretty ringing endorsement from Todd Washington, who's a former Hokie, or he'll, he'll always be a Hokie, former Virginia Tech player, um, but a guy who works on the staff with Tyler Bowen in Jacksonville. He said, Tyler Bowen is a hell of a coach. He can recruit the 757 in the DMV. He's all about the details. So happy for him. Working with him this season, I can tell he's got what Tech needs. Sounds like a pretty ringing endorsement to me. My question, of course, is the play calling because it's a limited sample size, but when he's done it, he's been good. My question, too, is that if Virginia Tech is going to spend more money on the offensive side of the ball, which was my assumption, maybe I'm wrong about that, but if that assumption ends up holding true, is there a co-OC situation where one coordinator is responsible for the running game, one guy is associated for the passing game? We're starting to see that more and more across college football, right? So 
that's another question I have that hasn't been answered yet on the offensive side of the ball. But as far as re- recruiting goes and a guy who's, who's done it at power five schools and has at least called plays at the FCS level for an extended period of, of one season, rather than one game at Penn state, Bowen does check off a, a lot of boxes. And I think it's an intriguing hire for Virginia tech. In terms of Chris Marv, right. I like what you're saying there that it seems like this is a guy that Brent Pry can use to mold into the kind of coordinator that he wants, right? Getting a big name, a Manny Diaz, someone that had been a former head coach somewhere else or a coordinator at a big program might butt heads in terms of philosophies. It would be easy. It would would be harder, should I say, for Brent Pry to kind of assert his will philosophically. And you know, by all accounts, Marv is an up-and-coming coach, a guy who's about the details, a guy who can turn Virginia Tech maybe into that linebacker U type in terms of developing the players. But on the recruiting trail, he's the opposite of Bowen. He does not have a ringing track record. And a lot of Virginia Tech fans wanted to point out that people on the Florida State side didn't seem satisfied with his recruiting efforts. Do you think that you know his weakness, or at least his perceived weakness in that department, can be carried by the other guys on this defensive staff, a Jones, a JC price, a Ryan Smith, if he stays on. I think that Marv can become at least a competent recruiter. Um, Young guys, I feel like generally have an advantage when they're on the recruiting trail, but if you can't recruit at Florida state, then there are obviously some inherent things that you have to overcome as a recruiter because it's really easy to sell Florida State, right? You're in Florida. The weather's beautiful. Florida State's a a giant school with a lot of opportunities. Tallahassee has a lot of opportunities. Um, Florida State's um, residential situation for their athletes is one of the best in the country. Their facilities are in great shape. Uh, resources are not a problem there. Um, if you can't recruit at Florida State, then that's not uh, that's not a, a great starting point. Now, again, people seem to try to be dunking me on this for some reason. I don't really get it. I'm I'm not saying that Marv can't become the kind of defensive coordinator that Virginia Tech wants, but he is starting at a much lower point than I would have liked Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator to start at. And that's on the coaching and the recruiting side, as far as I'm concerned. So just random kind of breaking news here. Uh, They released Brett Venable's contract, $6.4 million in the first year with the salary increasing 100K every February. Does that seem like that's on the low side to you? I know this is random, but I, I figured the Venables would be making you know eight to nine million dollars at does, least. Does a little bit, but he is a first-time head coach, so maybe that plays yeah, into it a little say, bit. That seems high to me, considering he's never been a head coach before. Um, I mean, Mel I Tucker's making like run. nine, and he's like a five hundred record through yeah, three well, seasons. That's a, that's a completely separate discussion because I also think that's lunacy, but <laughs> but. But in terms of Brett Venables, yeah, I, I feel like that's – I would – I'm not sure I would want to pay him that much money considering he's never been a head coach before. But um, Oklahoma was a bit desperate considering Lincoln Riley um, went to 
warmer pastures in terms of Southern California. Okay. Random topic off. And I think we'll talk a little bit about the UVA coaching search and uh, what's going on at Duke as well here as we wrap up the podcast. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the recruiting side. And Mike, you said this recruiting class doesn't really matter. I think it matters. I, players... I, I probably, I probably phrased that poorly. I just yeah, meant my from... point is that the class doesn't matter in the sense of how do we evaluate judgment. Yes. Yes. It's not staff's ability right. to yeah. recruit. Exactly. Yeah. From yeah. a judgment standpoint, it does, it doesn't yeah. move the needle for me. That's what I yeah, mean. It, I think it, that, it, I think class is important. You'd rather have them than not. Right. <laughs> so it's not indicative of, you know, anything that we should expect to see going forward. Exactly. But with this class, you have guys like Ramon Brown, you have a number of four stars in the boat uh, for what it's worth. Right. The class currently ranked number 20 by 24, seven sports which would be, I believe, the highest nationally rated class of the Justin Fuente era. I think I'm correct. If not, yeah, it's it would be. super close. You kind of try to keep these guys on board, right? And we know there's going to be attrition. There is every year. But for a guy like, say, Ramon Brown, he's probably the golden goose of the class right now. What do you think the odds that we keep this guy on are on the offensive side of the ball? It seems like the defensive players are – at least showing more signs that as a unit, they're willing to stay. Ramon Brown went out and said, look, I don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. They did the in-home visit. Mike, you mentioned on Twitter a few days ago that they probably had some idea who the offensive coordinator was going to be, because what are you going to do? Go into Ramon Brown's house and say, yeah, we don't know. We'll let you know and later. Not answer his questions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I think, I, I think it's really, so the, the one thing I'll say about Ramon Brown is that in, in any four-star you know, talent or higher for that matter. It's, you got to answer some questions for him, right? Like with, with a three-star, your options are, you know, maybe you have a wider breadth of options, but you don't have the elite options that a four or five-star guy would have, right? And when you go into Ramon Brown's home, you have to be able to answer those types of questions. The, the, to answer your question, Andrew, as far as like, what are the chances that Tech keeps Ramon Brown? That kind of remains to be seen, right? It depends on how Ramon Brown feels in his comfort level from talking with the tech staff earlier this week. Um, I, I know that he's still, I mean, he's still committed to Virginia Tech, but he's not turning away, you know, teams and, and programs that want to come meet with him. So it kind of remains to be seen. He's He's got to gain, as a prospect, he's got to gain a comfort level in Tyler Bowen and some additional assistance that will be hired here shortly. Um, he's got to have some comfort in the guys they're bringing in that he can see a role for himself where he can flourish. So that, that goes for Ramon Brown. That goes for Alex Orgy, the quarterback from Texas. Um, that goes for Gunnar Givens, um, a big-time offensive lineman, as we know. It goes for all these guys. They need to be comfortable uh, in, in, in the offense that they are going to be able to be in a positive situation for themselves, even though there's been staff turnover. You went as far as to say Ramon Brown is on the market, and I tend to agree. Tell us why you feel that way. As far as I'm concerned, anytime a recruit is uh, openly accepting visits in their house from other coaching staffs, they're no longer committed. Um, he, Ramon Brown is committed in name only, and that's how that's how fans should view it. And for the record, I'm I'm not 
I'm not saying that as a slight towards Ramon Brown and his family. I don't blame the kid for wanting to see what his, what his options are now that the coaching staff that he committed to is no longer uh, in existence. So I'm not mad at it. Um, but if you're, if you're the Virginia tech coaching staff, and if you're a fan or an observer of the program, you have to look at this from the perspective of, we have to re-secure Ramon Brown's commitment. And that goes to what Mike was saying about, you've got to be able to answer questions with that or that Ramon Brown may have, and you have to be able to uh, rebuild that trust and that rapport that Ramon had with the previous staff. You have to rebuild that all over again. You're almost starting from scratch. So um, I don't think we should consider Ramon Brown a committed prospect. And uh, it, it, the onus is now on the coaching staff in Blacksburg to, to change that and get it back to the way it was a few weeks ago. Do you think we're going to see a, a substantial number of guys maybe jump on dudes who weren't necessarily on Virginia Tech's radar under Justin Fuente, but that this staff may have identified and be able to jump on late? Um, we probably will start to see names after the early signing day. Um, guys who don't sign after early signing day are usually um, highly sought after. Uh, for those last few remaining spots in the class. Um, you often see guys who are committed up until the early signing day period begins, which is December 15, and then they are no longer committed, and then they don't sign on the 15th, and then they are open until National Signing Day in February. Uh, I, I think Virginia Tech is going to uh, hit that time period pretty hard in terms of adding guys to the class that this coaching staff has evaluated and feels like they can, or that they're worthy of a scholarship. Um, I would expect to see a lot of names be floated around a lot of guys added to the target board uh, after the, the early signing period ends uh, because that, that, that time frame is when guys are really trying to get locked in and all of those high profile programs that have a couple spots left, um, they're they're going after the late bloomers in that time period. Yeah, I mean, we can start to I, we can start to evaluate. Maybe not necessarily like oh, Brent Pry and his staff can or can't recruit, but we can start to evaluate from the standpoint of okay, who are the types of players that Brent Pry and his staff are going to go after, with who they kind of try to add to this class after the early signing day with the spots they have remaining, right? Because it may not necessarily be a guy who was committed to Justin Fuente that just didn't happen to sign on early signing day. It could be new targets added to the board that, you know, Pry and his staff thought were deserving of a scholarship at Virginia tech, maybe a different type of player that Justin Fuente and his staff wasn't necessarily interested in. So um, that, that goes for both the offensive and defensive sides of the football. So I think we can start to see at least the types of prospects that Pry and his staff are going to recruit. I think we, it's pretty clear at least early on that an emphasis and priority is going to be put on recruiting the DMV um, and, and reestablishing relationships in state. But, you know, the types of players that Brent Pry and his staff recruit uh, schematically is what I'm interested in. Not even necessarily like three, four, five star, whoever they are, just like the types of players um, that, that that's why I'm interested in seeing.
any intel, any idea, any names that have been thrown out there as this offensive staff is going to be built forward or is it just going to be a wait and see deal? Well, if we were if we were super lucky, then um, Tyler Bowen would not be the only Jacksonville Jags assistant that would be joining the staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Washington, who Mike mentioned, um, a uh, former tech player, uh, someone who is very well connected into the program, uh, a, a guy who has a deep and abiding respect and admiration for the program to this day. Uh, in terms of an offensive line coach, I'm not sure you're going to find a better fit for the position than Todd Washington. Um, I've always wondered why he hasn't been on staff uh, in the past, and obviously he's in the NFL right now, and, and you got to give him give him credit for being able to hold down an NFL coaching career because he has done that over the last few years. Uh, but if you're if you're looking to make a splash with the fan base. And if you're looking to bring someone in that could certainly recruit to Virginia tech, I mean, I don't think Todd Washington would have any issues recruiting to Blacksburg considering no. he uh, is, is a, a regional guy, uh, an alumni has uh, massive NFL experience as a coach. Uh, that that's someone that guys will, will automatically attract to. So uh, I, I would be uh over the over the moon if if Washington was was considered. I don't have any other names, unfortunately. I haven't done an, enough research. I was uh, for for the record on Tyler Bowen. I was not saying that as a suggestion, Brent Fry. That was just the name that I found in my research. I was not actually suggesting that, but I don't know. But we'll see. They're going to have to fill this offensive staff out pretty quickly. Um, as Mike has mentioned, it wouldn't shock me if a lot of these guys are already in place. And for one reason or another, it hasn't been announced yet. That's kind of the situation that Tyler Bowen is in, right? Because the NFL season is still going on, and they've still got a a few weeks to play. Obviously, the Jags aren't going to the playoffs. Um, But for other guys who may be at the NFL level or um, college coaches who are connected to programs that um, are in their bowl games uh, or are are playing in a New Year's Six game or something like that, and they want to stick with their staff, can't blame them. We'll see, but hopefully those guys will get announced sooner rather than later because um, it would provide a lot of clarity in terms of the direction that this coaching staff is going. And also, if there's going to be a lot of leftover money at the end of all these hires, how could that money be used to add guys to the staff that would not be in the NCAA's level of on-field assistance? Um, I'm curious to see what the financial situation is going to look like because Considering the the age that Brent Fry seems to be targeting, I have a feeling that unless he is paying these guys above what I would think would be their market value, there's going to be a little bit of money left over to possibly expand the staff uh, in terms of numbers. Yeah, the one the one thing um, I just want to add that that Ricky mentioned as far as like names being released and that sort of thing. Like, I know it won't be made official on Tyler Bowen until after the Jaguars season has ended, but now that the name is out there and widely reported, and I'm sure they've been recruiting to it on the trail, there's no reason, in my opinion, why you can't start naming these other assistants, right? Like Tyler Bowen, it's clear that he's going to be working in the background to put together an offensive staff for Brent Pry, at least have a heavy hand in that, right? So I don't think there's any reason to wait, 
there's no reason to rush, but there's also, you just want to get the right guys in, but there's no reason to wait if you have guys that you have agreements with, right? Like if you finalize the agreement, it's just not official yet. Get those names out there, which I'm sure they're already doing with recruits, but um, I think it would be helpful from a, from a program standpoint to have those names in place sooner rather than later. Uh, quickly, in terms of the current staff or the former staff, however you want to you want to put it, the coaches that are going to coach this bowl game, people that coach under Justin Fuente, do you think that certain guys land in maybe a better spot or a equivalent spot to Virginia Tech? I know Vance Vice is a name that sticks out. Do you think that he or anyone else could end up in the Power Five at a legitimate program? Vance Vice should absolutely land softly at a, a a solid Power Five program. I, I think he I think he proved his worth uh, as an offensive line coach. Quite honestly, I would I would love if Virginia Tech would find a way to retain Vance Vice. I don't do not believe that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I think he's a, I think he's a, a a tremendous coach. I think he can evaluate talent. He can recruit talent. Uh, his his units play well together. He's able to get guys um, experience at multiple positions. So he creates that artificial depth, which is a phrase that, that Vance talked about a lot in his tenure in Blacksburg. Uh, outside of that, though, I I'm not sure that any of these guys are going to find cushy cushy positions after this job. I mean, Adam Lechtenberg has shown an ability to recruit Juco guys. And that's, and that's certainly a skill that can be used elsewhere. I'm not sure that his uh, experience developing the running backs uh, is, is very good. Um, and that may be something that is a demerit for him moving forward. And Jafar Williams, I'm not sure what the work that he's done in, in Blacksburg is worthy of much praise either. So, as far as I'm concerned, Vance Vice deserves a really good job after this. But uh, outside of that, uh, I'm not I'm not so sure they're going to have as much fun. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I think most guys will find a spot somewhere. I don't know if it'll be Power Five, Group of Five, you name it. But I mean, these even even Brad Cornelson. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, oh, Cornelson will never find a job anywhere. I mean, I come on <laughs> like there have been a lot of a lot of bad a lot of bad coaches have found jobs elsewhere i don't know if there are openings at the FCS level yeah i mean he'll <laughs> he'll coach i mean he'll coach somewhere i mean it's scott leffler found a job elsewhere like cornell's will find a job give me a break so hell scott leffler became a head coach that's that's still just <laughs> baffling to me I, I don't care i know it's bowling green but i mean <laughs> dear god man come on could it could have done a little bit better Bowling Green is like the incubator of legendary coaches. I mean, Rick Stockstill didn't coach there, though. <laughs> yeah, again, <laughs> all of these coaching hires that have been made, uh, let me tell you, the fact that Stockstill's name hasn't been publicly thrown out there, I mean, I was floating in for Oklahoma, but nonetheless. <laughs> I can't imagine why he didn't get that job. Rick Rick Stockstill wouldn't have to fake a Southern accent at LSU. That's no, <laughs> that is very true. That is I very true. I will say, you know, circle your calendars. One week from today, one week from the time of this recording, the Skipper Cannon-esque game that will launch us into bowl season, Middle Tennessee State versus Toledo, noon on ESPN, the Bahamas Bowl, the world will be watching. 
Rick Stockstill on the national stage. Uh, but yeah, speaking of coaching searches and in all seriousness, chaos at UVA first with Anthony Poindexter. Uh, that seemed to be a shoe in at that point. It seemed like anyone and everyone believed that he was less than 24 hours away from being named the next head coach of the university of Virginia that falls apart. Then Tony Elliott reenters the conversation. He and his family fly out to Charlottesville and then fly back with reports coming out that the deal was falling apart and that Elliot still had not made a decision as to what he was going to do with his future. I pointed out on Twitter uh, yesterday saying that it makes you gain respect for Whit Babcock's ability to keep leaks from coming out during the hiring process because it's an ugly process. It's a dicey process. And when negative information becomes public, it creates a perception of chaos and, you know, incompetence within an athletic department. Carla Williams does not look good right now. UVA does not look good. I actually feel for their players, you know, in that program, just in such a negative light right now during this hiring process. Mike, do you have any insight? What's going on at UVA? Who's going to be their coach? I don't know, although I just saw a note on UVA that uh, the University of Virginia Board of Visitors voted on Friday to approve a transfer of $10.3 million to the athletics department to go towards the construction of a new football operations center. So that could be a piece of it. Um, I, I don't know. Like, this whole thing to me, maybe we'll find this out after the fact, but this whole thing to me, something's up, right? Like UVA is not that bad of a football job to the point where they can get these types of candidates in the door and then not get deals done with them. Right. So my question, and it's not going to be a popular one is, is this a Carla Williams thing? Is this a like athletic support, Carla Williams support for the football program thing right now? Great. You're getting the coaches in the door that are noteworthy, right? Poindexter, he's an alum, couldn't get a deal done with him. Uh, Tony Elliott, former Broyles award winner. So one of the top assistant coaches in college football, get him in the door. As of the time of this recording, haven't gotten a deal done with him. Josh Gaddis's name has been thrown out there, which I don't know how serious that is. Cause I don't know why Gaddis would want to leave Michigan to go to UVA. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I it's just something is up with this coaching search and I'm not totally sure what it is. But there's something just not adding up because UVA, again, it's just not that bad of a job that these coaches could be getting in the door and just being like, yeah, I don't think I want to sign here. It's that there's something more to it that we're not seeing on the surface. I think it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> like it's, there it I, is. I find it, I, I find it absolutely hilarious that UVA, um, well, let's let's backtrack a little bit, right? So UVA was an absolute mess when Bronco Mendenhall took over, and Bronco was able to have, you know, at least some progress, right? And Bronco is hailed as this amazing program developer, and he goes one and five against Virginia Tech in his time at UVA, and he quits abruptly. And the, the entire narrative around the UVA program was that this is an up-and-coming football program they're, they're investing more in the program and they're more serious about football than they ever have been in the last 20 years. And their head coach leaves and now they can't find anyone to take the job. I find that absolutely hilarious. Um, UVA is a mess. 
and um, I'm enjoying it, quite frankly. Mike, what about Duke? Who lands at Duke? I've heard the name Jason Garrett floated out there. That really? doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, no, dead ass. They're floating out Jason Garrett. First, Paul said it, and I thought it was just Paul. I mean, it was just Paul kidding. And then a few days later, the name is legitimately in consideration. Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't really seen anybody associated with that. The Jason Garrett thing's news to me. I have no idea who they're going to hire. I mean, I, I figured it would probably be Healy or Chadwell. I don't buy the Tony Elliott to Duke thing. You're telling me that Tony Elliott passed up all of these open college jobs over the last couple of years that he's been rumored to be a candidate for to then take the Duke job. I don't look if, if Elliott doesn't end up at UVA, I think he ends up back at Clemson as the offensive coordinator. Like he's too good of an assistant. I understand their offense struggled this year, but it, it got better as the year went along but he's got too good of a track record and he's too highly respected in the business to now just go take the Duke job just to get a head coaching position. Like he's been rumored for too many other open jobs to then take Duke. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I don't know what Duke's going to end up doing. Um, Elliot doesn't seem like a fit there either for all of the reasons that Mike just mentioned. Um, and also, to be quite honest, I'm not sure that Elliot feels like a fit at UVA for the same reasons. I mean, Mike, you mentioned that UVA is not that bad of a football program, and you're not wrong. But like you said, all these other jobs that, that Tony Elliott has been rumored to, to have interest in, I, I would find it interesting that he would spurn all of those opportunities to land at UVA, which is uh, – you know, second fiddle in the state and historically does not have the support from the athletic department or the fan base for that matter when it comes to football. Um, UVA just seems like an, an odd fit for me when it comes to Tony Elliott. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about it, right, as a coach, when you're looking to make a move, especially when you're at a place like Clemson, it comes down to your personal stock and where can your stock take you, right? Brent Venables was very patient when he was waiting to take a coaching job, ultimately landing at Oklahoma, you know, one of the premier college football programs in the country. Tony Elliott's stock today is probably lower than it was a year ago, given the way that Clemson's offense struggled in the first half of the season. Now, there's a lot of factors that play into that. You lost Trevor Lawrence, one of the best pro prospects in the history of college football. You lost Travis Etienne, one of the best all-around running backs in the history of the ACC. And the transition wasn't seamless. But nonetheless, Tony Elliott isn't the candidate today that he was 12 months ago. I can envision that if he were to stay at Clemson, his stock could raise to the point where it's closer to the profile that he had put out in 2019 in 2020 than where he is in 2021 mulling the UVA and Duke jobs. I don't think it would be the worst decision in the world for him to stay back at Clemson and, and stick around. Because like you said, you know, all those intrinsic factors that surround the UVA program, you're not necessarily set up to succeed. So it, it's going to be interesting, but if Tony Elliott falls through, it really begs the question for UVA, where do you go from here? Yeah, and I just don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I, again, like with the, with the UVA thing too, like with Gaddis, are, are we sure that's not from, that's not a leak from like the UVA side to just gain leverage in negotiations with Elliot? Like, it just seems random to me. I don't know. Or an agent thing. I mean, it could I, always be an agent thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Gaddis is a, a candidate over the next year as the head coach. Um, but it, it, it does feel like this year, like 
after one year, it, it could be a flash in the pan. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that UVA has got to figure their, figure their stuff out internally uh, before they're going to be seen as a serious option for high-level coaching candidates moving forward. They got really lucky that Bronco went there in the first place, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I do think Bronco was a pretty solid coach. I think that he's – I don't think he was a real fit in Virginia, uh, honestly. But um, that program has some deeper institutional problems than just who their head coach is. And I'm not sure that their next head coach is going to be able to solve those problems. All right. Well, it'll certainly be uh, a fun one to watch as UVA tries to secure their next head football coach amid all the drama. Last thing here before we check out uh, Virginia Tech coming off the win against Cornell, uh, a get right game for a lot of the dudes that were struggling, albeit you were playing an Ivy League team, but a good offensive output for Virginia Tech and a dominating victory. Uh, next on the docket are the Dayton Flyers. Dayton, the team that struggled early on in the season, they lost to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin Pay before beating Miami, Kansas, and Belmont to win their preseason tournament. Most recently, they lost on the road to SMU. What does this matchup look like, Mike? And is this almost a must-win for Virginia Tech, even at this point in the season? Out of the three-game stretch with Cornell, Dayton, and then St. Bonaventure, there's an argument to be made that Dayton could be the worst team Virginia Tech's played. Um, I wouldn't say that ordinarily in, in any other year, but Cornell was second in the country in points per game, you know, going into that game the other night. Virginia Tech controlled the tempo, and I was really impressed with that, how they took over the game with their bigs, right? Mutz had a good game. Aluma had a good game. I thought the guards played. Everybody played well. I thought everybody played well. Um, Storm Murphy, I know it doesn't show in the stat sheet, but he had a nice bounce back game, looked much more comfortable offensively, which you would expect because he's playing Cornell. He's not playing Memphis, right? So you'd expect that. But I thought he played well, and Padula was great off the bench. Uh, Dayton is bad. They're a bad team. Um, Cornell could win the Ivy League, right? So uh, they, they could eventually be a tournament team. Dayton's bad. I know they beat Kansas, uh, but losing to SMU is not a great look. Losing to UMass Lowell, not a great look. Like, they've had some Austin P. not a great look, right? So uh, Dayton's not very good. It is a road game. So Virginia Tech needs to, you know, go out there and, and win a road game. But this is, a, this is a really important game for Virginia Tech. This, is, uh, this would qualify as a bad loss, even though they were able to pick off Kansas earlier in the year. We know Dayton to be ordinarily a pretty good program. This would be a bad loss. Okay. It well, is very important that Tech win this game for sure. Yep. 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 I agree. I agree. By the way, Susie Colbert tweeted nine minutes ago. So literally as we were talking about Jason Garrett, hearing Jason Garrett is the front runner for the Duke head coach job. Hello. So, yep. Speaking that into existence. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Hokey hangover podcast, Andrew, Alex, Mike McDaniel, Ricky LeBlue. You guys got anything to say before we check out? Rate, review, subscribe. And uh, I guess people are just going to keep living in my mentions. Yep. Yeah, last thing I'll throw in there is uh, my radio show, The Drive on ESPN Blacksburg. We're doing a little uh, college bowl mania on ESPN.com. So if you want to join a group, uh, search up ESPN Blacksburg. It'll show up in the group results. Join, and if you win, you get a prize. What that prize is, I do not know at this time. 
but it'll probably be something good. We got plenty of Virginia Tech stuff and there's literally no fee to enter. So what do you have to lose? It'll be fun. So yeah, ESPN Blacksburg, the drive on college bowl mania on ESPN.com. We'll be back probably on Monday. Who knows? More news could break. I expect UVA and Duke to be filled by then so we can react there and see what kind of fits they end up with. Until then, my friends, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy uh, the Army-Navy game, one of the great American traditions in all of sports. And we'll talk to you then. Until then, go Hokies.